Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. time to seasons pass when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron tonight we will explore the world of gridiron greats welcome to gridiron greats football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron greats publishing and broadcasting network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wally for Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, good afternoon to you, Captain. It, it, it still cracks me up hearing, you know, Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Largent. Uh, just, I, I guess if you have to pick something, it's like uh, going to college and saying my minor was in Russian art. Uh, that's the equivalent of focusing on Steve Largent, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good, Joe. That's good. Well, I get you. You have the best of both worlds. You have the modern day team, <laughs> which you follow, and you have you have the memories of Steve Largent, and you have you have the research of Red Grange. So you, you're encompassing exactly. basically, you know, a hundred plus years of football there, and that, that's but great. I'll, I'll admit, Bob, I wish that I'm, I'm envious of you East Coast guys who uh, follow teams that you know that are rooted in history you know chicago bears green bay packers i i just i just wish when i said seattle seahawks that you know it you know we could touch the you know hundred best players you know the you know yeah you know what i mean it's just yeah no, I, know, I know you know seattle seahawks history starts in 1976 i mean you know most of the football teams at that point were half a century old so a little bit of jealousy of your green bay packers well, that, that's okay, and I really date myself because 1976 was the year I graduated high school, and uh, I can remember us talking, uh, the guys talking. I had a buddy of mine who had family in Tampa Bay, and he says, I'm going to be a Bucks fan, and I said, why are you going to be a Bucks fan for? And he says, well, I got uh, his uncle or aunt or whoever was down there, and uh, grew up in North Brantford, Connecticut, and basically was a Bucks fan his entire life, and still is. And he lives in Jacksonville now. 
and uh, he shoots down and sees a Tampa game once a year at least. And if they ever play uh, the Jags there, he goes see it because he says you could walk up to the gate the day of the game and get a ticket with no problem. He said yeah, uh, you no could problem. walk in the parking lot there. People give him tickets. So <laughs> it's pretty uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. I feel bad I for the Jaguar fans, but whatever. It is what it is. But actually, we're setting like the tone for what Bengals fan right now. We're setting the tone right now of what we want to talk about uh, before our special guest comes on. And I want to point out to our listeners, this is our actual 99th podcast uh, that we've had. Wayne Gretzky, the Wayne Gretzky of shows. And uh, our next podcast, which is going to be very special before the year ends out, will be our 100th podcast that we have recorded over the past seven years. So it's, it's uh, pretty interesting, pretty historical at the same time. So we're going to fast forward in the future here, and we're going to talk a little bit about modern-day rookie cards. And I had a reader write to me, and he said, basically, to summarize what he talked to me in his email, he said, Bob, what's going on with rookie cards? Are, are they really worth the investment? Am I, am I missing something here? Am I, am I lost in the whole equation of why I would spend uh, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a modern-day rookie card of, let's say, Tom Brady or Russell Wilson or, or Aaron Rodgers? He says, I, I, he says, I need help. He says, I, I'm, I'm lost on it. So I said, well, this is a pretty good topic for Joe and I to talk about. Anybody who knows me knows my, my feelings about uh, the uh, – the, uh, I don't even know what's a good, good way of, of describing it. Um, the feelings of modern-day graded rookie cards that are going for uh, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I'm going to hand off to you right now, Joe, and, and what's your thoughts? What's your feeling? Tell me well, like, what's going you're on. Out of right up, on you rattled off three quarterbacks there, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. And really the conversation ends at that first quarterback, you know, uh, you know Tom Brady. Because, oh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I can't think of an Aaron Rodgers rookie card other than his, uh, what is that, his 2005 tops. That, I mean, and even now you can get in a PSA 10 for a couple hundred dollars. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is amazing. Yeah. But, you know, Tom Brady – has that allure. I mean, obviously six rings. He's broken, you know, most records. First ballot Hall of Fame. He's he's up there with like Walter Payton, where, you know, it's rumored that the person presenting for Walter Payton stood up and said, "Gentlemen, it's Walter Payton," and, and sat back down. That's all you need to say. Uh, Tom Brady yeah. is just that. Yeah. Uh, and you're talking about that. Uh, what is it that that playoff ticket contender card? Because even Tom Brady's uh, SP uh, rookie card in a PSA 10 will go for about ten to twelve thousand dollars, and I remember buying one, uh, you know, for a couple thousand, and then three years later selling it for five thousand and thinking, oh, I didn't oh, pay off like a bandit. And uh, wow, because uh, they're numbered one to a thousand, uh, you know, there's only so many. Well, I guess people can create more PSA 10s, but uh, and you know that card's up in the twelve thousand. Like, like I said, the uh, the playoff contender card. There is one going right now, and I think it has a day left, and it's about a hundred and fifty-four thousand dollars. It's at a hundred and fifty-four thousand for a BGS. What is it, eight point five or nine? I believe, Captain. And you and I were commenting, um, and it's like, and it's like a nineteen thirty-five Chickle Bronco Nagurski PSA eight point five, one of one with one hire sold about uh, two months ago for $174,000, you know, not including hammer. So here's a Tom Brady card that's nearly at the price of a Bronco Nagurski card are the, the Mount Rushmore of football cards. It, that, it, that, it baffles my mind when I don't do it. Yep. It's bizarre. Bizarre. Makes, it, incredible sorry about that uh yeah it's yeah we we don't know i mean i I don't collect modern stuff i certainly even back when i was you know assembling psa sets 
I certainly wouldn't, you know, plunk down that kind of cash for a, you know, for a modern card like that. I, that is, uh, I don't know who's buying these cards, but it's pretty consistent, uh, the sale of this card, of this, you know, this playoff card. So it's, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I don't know. I guess to each his own. Uh, you know, when the rubber hits the road, all of us collect pictures of men in tights on cardboard. So, I mean, who, who am I to say, you know, what's weird and what's not, really? You know, right, right, exactly. I mean, I see a great demand from you know, I I can see at a show, uh, a, a lot of young kids will ask a dealer, you got any Tom Brady cards, you got any Aaron Rodgers cards, you know, so on and so forth. And you know, yep. obviously they'll buy they'll buy the lesser, you know, the one and two and three dollar cards that are available out there. And at the same time, I also see some young kids buying, you know, Becca graded tens of those guys also. And, you know, yep. they'll pay the extra money and whatever. I, I have no idea how much they're going. Say they're just going for $20. They'll plunk a $20 bill down for one of his newer cards in a, in a 10, in a 10 holder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that's just the way it is right now. But, you know, again, well, I, I, the, the perceived scarcity of that first Brady rookie card, and in putting it in perspective, how many different rookie cards did he actually have? You know, twenty, oh, twenty-five. Who knows? You know. Uh, keep going. Didn't didn't we try and count that once? Because I mean, you know, and, and you know, here we are, a couple old timers talking about modern cards. Uh, there is one Steve Largent rookie card. It's the undisputed. Uh, I mean, right. there are. I mean, you you can you can go. I mean, and then you know, we've talked about the proliferation of just wax. I mean, there are probably a hundred Tom Brady cards that came out the same year. And then I don't know how they decide or, like, how PSA decides, nope, his SP card is going to be, you know, his rookie card. Not the refractor, not the die cut, but the SP. And, it, you know, I, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Yep. I don't know. But, you well, know, maybe, 100. Maybe. Let's say there's 100 cards that came out his rookie year, and one of them is the is a rookie card. And his rookie card's not even the most valuable. It's that playoff contender card. Right. Right, right, and it's a good point. Good, uh, good point you bring about Rogers, as far as his tops card, you know, being worth let's say a couple hundred dollars or whatever. I have, I have no idea what it is. I know he's got a police card uh, in the police set, and uh, you know that really isn't driving any type of rarity value either, because there's thousands of police sets that were given out over the, you know, course of every year uh, in Wisconsin and ultimately gets into the hands of collectors at the same time. So I, I just find it fascinating. I, I, you know, I don't have a good answer one way or the other for, for the, you know, whether or not you would want to buy it or not type of thing. I mean, I, I know a few stocks I'd rather put $150,000 in than a Tom Brady rookie card. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> it just does, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, again, you know, the market is radically different than what it used to be. So. Well, think about this. We we a long time ago, you and I talked about six figure football cards, and it's right, like right, you you right. could you could probably hold in two hands, you know what used to be the six figure football cards, you know a PSA right. nine Jim Brown, a PSA nine uh, Joe Namath, a PSA you know eight uh, Nagurski, uh, you know you know, boy do you think a PSA PSA nine Bart Starr would fetch you know six figures? Not quite, you know, I mean. If you think about the six-figure football cards, most of them are vintage, and then you've got this modern card, this one modern card, this Tom Brady card, that you know, you know, you know, beats all comers practically. I mean, right, you know, right. it's, it's pretty fascinating. What would an all ten BGS player contender card go for? And I guess we'd have to look that up. And then what would it go now? It's just it 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 makes me scratch my head that this card is worth more than a Nagurski card, uh, which is what right. all of us hold up, you know, as our, you know, as our golden child. So, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's still, I still go back to a show I did, and I know I've, I've said this story several times. It was late 1984, and a kid, what I kid, a young guy comes up to me and he says, um, do you have any John Elway tops cards, rookie cards? And I had a couple and I think the going rate at that time we were using the for a superstar rookie was like a dollar a card. 
And I vaguely remember <laughs> I had to, I had a, a couple of them, so I told the guy, "Give me you know a dollar each." And he says, "Well, if you got any more, I'll buy them from you." Uh, I, and I said, oh, you're hot on Elway. He said, I'm hot on Elway, and, uh, and I'm hot on Marino. I think they're going to be driving driving the 84 tops uh, and down the road. And, uh, you know, as as we know, hindsight is everything. But at the same time, he really had a good – he had a good handle on seeing what he thought was great potential with two cards, which to me, they did peak, and, you know, they're pretty normal now. I mean, you can, you can find, you know, ungraded – and graded cards reasonable if you want to put the stuff together. You know what I mean? So it's not like yep. it, it's it's not like you can't find them out there, and it's not like you know they're they're ultimately rare. But again, we put it in perspective of a Brady. You know, I think Brady's had a better career than Elway and Marino, and therefore you know there oh, is yeah. a greater demand and and, and a greater uh, a greater desire to to buy that card even at 150k plus. So. Uh, <laughs> it's it's truly amazing, truly amazing to me to say to say the least. But um, for my friend Bill out there who sent me the email, uh, I don't have a good answer for you still, Bill. But I know uh, you probably don't have that extra 150k laying around to buy that Brady card. But uh, it is what it is, and I I think we should, you know, I think we were both in agreement saying, collect what you like. And uh, then it becomes a little more yep. fun and a little less, a little less stressful too. So. Well, and the other, the other thing is we're used to seeing uh, the most popular teams in America, your Packers, your Steelers, uh, you know, the sadly the Raiders, Cowboys, and we're used to seeing those teams as being the, you know, the the high price cards. Granted, the Patriots have been, a, you know, a juggernaut the last, you know, two decades practically, you know, since two thousand one. You know, so obviously there's a popularity there. Name, you, know, you can't name another team that has racked that many, you know, Super Bowl victories in that span of time. Yeah. Steelers, I guess, yep. would come. Yep. But, yeah, so there's a, a little bit to that. That Brady luster, how many more years does he have? And, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. But it's definitely, a, uh, it's definitely a, a, a gamble when you're buying a card, a modern card, for that much money. It's definitely a gamble. How many uncut sheets exactly. are there of uh, playoff yeah. contender that slipped out the back door that are sitting in, you know, in, on someone's stack? So, who knows? Right. How many do you have? A couple? <laughs> uncut None. sheets or playoff contender cards? How many Tom Brady cards do you have? <laughs> Probably like three or four. And if a kid comes over the house, yeah. I normally give him one if they ask me. So it is what it is. All right, our special guest is here, and I'd like to introduce him and move on with our show. He is the president of Robert Edwards Auctions, and I'd like to introduce to the show tonight Mr. Brian Dwyer. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. How's it going? Good. Uh, I'm here too, Brian. I'm I'm here too, Brian. Hey, Joe. And I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thanks Great. for asking. Good to talk to I, you. I, as haven't, I haven't seen you in a few. I, I I think I saw you at the last national really briefly, and um, but I haven't talked to you for quite a while. So uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come on to the podcast tonight. And I want to lead off by asking, and uh, if you could give our listeners some background about how you got involved in cards and how you got involved in auctions. Sure. My my story is similar to a lot of other people who um, are out there collecting cards and that I got my first cards as a kid. And my parents, uh, when I was six years old, bought me some cards and put me in my room and, and it entertained me for days. And when they realized that that worked, they continued to buy them for me. So uh, <laughs> it goes back, it, it goes back to me being six years old and being fascinated with these cards and um, the, the players and the stats. And, and I kind of just stuck. And, and then when I got to be a teenager, I found eBay and, uh, and I was yeah. buying and selling and, you know, feeding the habit like we all do. And, and it, it was fascinating to me, so I just kept kept doing it. Nice, but, but you've been involved with the hobby for a long time. I mean, you 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 were helping people put collections together, Brian. I mean, uh, you 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 just, I mean, you 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 were more than a collector for a long time. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you, you guys both know me. I'm on the younger side of our hobby, I would, I would say. And, um, you know, I've been in it for over 20 years. I submitted my first cards to PSA in 1998. So, uh, wow. I, I go, I go wow. back a long ways. I, I was helping people build collections. I was at shows. I grew up in the New York city area. So I had access to the national when it came to Atlantic city and I had access to some shows in New York and, um, yeah, I've 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 been around a while. You've been doing it longer than I have, Brian. That's something that I, I tip my hat to. So congratulations. Uh, so Thanks. Bob mentioned you're you're president of REA. Uh, you know, one of the top auctions how auction houses, you know, in the nation. Uh, how'd you how did you come to be associated with REA? How'd you come to become president? And uh, what is your what is your day to day role? Your function at REA? Yeah, so I um, I got started in this business in 2007 full time, uh, working for a grading company, and then I missed that buying and selling that I was doing, um, kind of just on the side uh, using eBay, and so I left uh, the grading company and I went and I started my own company, which Sterling Sports Auctions, which still exists now in Minnesota, yep. and uh, I, I did that for a year and a half when. Uh, the Robert who founded Robert Edward Auctions called me and said, I see what you're doing and I like what you're doing. And would you consider coming to work for us? And so I considered it to be the equivalent of, uh, you know, playing minor league baseball or pop Warner football and, and the Patriots or the Yankees calling and saying, come join our team. So uh, that was 2012 and I (laughs) sold, I sold Sterling and I, I went to join REA and I was in acquisitions for REA until uh, four years later when the founder retired. And he said, um, you can you can work for the person that owns this or you can own this. And, and that's how it all happened. Wow. So you're like a modern-day Dread wow. Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. You, wow. You, know, you, you are Robert Edward Auctions. So. Yeah, it's 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 okay. been a fun ride. It's, it's a great place to work. Uh, we get to do cool things. And as far as my day-to-day, I mean, it's just – like uh, running any business it's overseeing every every part of the business our primary goal is obviously getting material in and building these auctions that are two or three thousand lots deep um, that's a lot of networking with collectors helping collectors teaching collectors um, it, it's a fun it's a fun gig no 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 day is the same wow wow well talking about the auction um can you and I'll, I'll I'll get a little off script here, but let's say you got a call from me, and I said, Brian, I got a you know sixty plus year collection of football cards. Uh, none of them are graded. I've collected all my life. Uh, would you be interested? Or I don't know what I'm doing with the collection. I don't know if I should just sell it outright. Do you think I could get you know? do better in an auction, so on and so forth. So tell us what, what goes into preparing an auction and, and you know, how you obtain, you know, the lots for them at the same time. And then at, when, when you're done with that, let us know how an auction actually closes because I'm sure a lot of our listeners really don't understand the, the technical aspects of the auction. They just, they just bid on it and, and pay for the item and then get the item, you know, in the mail type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, we get calls like you've described every day, calls, emails from people that have been doing this for decades and, and they don't know where to start. And so it's it's our job yeah. to make heads and tails of these lifelong collections. And, and we're good at it. Um, you know, we know the questions to ask. We know what we're looking for. We know what we specialize in and, and where we can do really well for people. So when somebody calls us up with a lifelong collection, we, we try and make it as easy as possible find out what they have, find out their theme, uh, find out how they built the collection. You know, we deal with a lot of people that inherited things or found things, but we deal with our fair share of people who built these collections. So um, we just try and learn more about them, their situation, their goals. You know, we're, we're a teammate in the process. So we don't buy anything outright. We, we are the best equivalent is like we're a realtor for your sports collection. Um, and, mm. and we're taking on, we're taking on the, the collection and we're we're trying to get you the most money and you're coming to us because we have this network of buyers and we know what we're doing and and, um, and we're going to tell you what you need to do to to make it more valuable to make make the most money possible 
So we, we're, we're predominantly educators um, for a lot of people when it comes to selling their collection. Um, and then, you know, you'd asked how, how do we get these cards? Um, we have just an amazing mailing list that's been built for decades and uh, we do extensive advertising and, and, and luckily uh, people find us, you know, our reputation precedes us. We're very good at what we do. We sell a lot of stuff. Totally. We sell a lot of records. So um, we're definitely totally. out there finding the stuff, but a fair bit does come to us, which is very nice. Okay. Like, like Bob mentioned, as an auction ends, where are you? I mean, what is, what is a command center, you know, for one of the largest auction houses, you know, in the nation, you know, as, you know, you know, auction closing night. Yeah, so our auctions run for about uh, two to three weeks, and on that final night, which in our case is a Sunday, uh, we're hunkered down in our office. We're, we're in New Jersey. Uh, there's 10 of us that, that work um, an auction, and we are all on computers and on our phone lines and, and taking bids or watching bids or, uh, you know, answering questions from, from bidders, answering questions from consigners. Um, but we're lucky in that most everything takes place online and, and we just get to sit back and watch. We're obviously there if we're needed, but, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not as hectic as it used to be when all the bids were written down on chalkboards and <laughs> slips of paper and entered manually. It's, it's a, it's a very automated process now. Um, but it doesn't mean it doesn't get fr frenetic and it doesn't mean that there's not excitement, but, um, you know, we, we close at midnight. So those last 15 minutes are kind of awesome to watch. So, I mean, That's it's all hard. automated. The software. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Bob. No, I was going to say that. Is that a hard close at midnight? In other words, or does it, is there like extended bidding? Cause I know in some auctions I have the extended bidding until, you know, 10 minutes after so on and so forth. Do you guys actually just, you know, 12 midnight, that's it. Everything shuts down. Or Yeah, so another... our auction does not Yeah, our, our auction does not continue past midnight. So at 6 okay, p.m. Sorry. Eastern, we do go into that extended bidding that you mentioned where only people who have qualified can place bids on the items. Um, so it okay. narrows the pool. And then from 6 to 12, yeah. it's just those qualified bidders, and then it doesn't go past midnight. Okay. Obviously, the software handles a lot of the bids, so your emails are, you know, you know, re the you know the consigner reaching out to the person that they consigned to. I mean, it might be you or one of your salespeople or your you know your consignment people. Uh, people calling in who aren't very technologically savvy, saying I'd like to place a bid on this. Uh, it's just, or people calling in, it's like, hey, can you describe that card one more time to me? You know, that kind of stuff. Those are the calls and emails. Absolutely. So yeah, on, on the final final day, we're dealing with some nervous consigners. We're dealing with some uh, <laughs> buyers who who want to make sure that they understand what they're bidding on, and you know if they're going to put that next bid in, that's going to cost them thousands of dollars. They want to make sure that they're they're getting what they think they're getting. Um, and then yeah, we we have dozens of people who are so old school they don't use computers. They place their bids over the phone. We have people who are traveling who don't have access to computers that we're there uh, for, you know. But again, these these days, most everybody has a phone, which means most everybody has the auction in their hand. So, hmm. wow, wow, that's impressive. I, I I can only imagine. I mean, the pizza getting delivered, the you know the water bottles. It's like NASA landing a you know landing on the moon. It's you know is how I you know visually think about REA you know war room on closing night. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. I mean, this last auction, we uh, we ended on a Sunday. We had a TV set up in the middle of the room watching football. Uh, we've ended during the World <laughs> Series before. So, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely aware of the business at hand, but we do have some time to just sit back and watch things unfold. That's awesome. Well, you, you, you our next question, you, you'd mentioned you'd worked for a grading company. Uh, you know, that grading company is SGC. I mean, I, I knew you back when you worked at SGC and you were in customer service and you were just you're one of the most amazing people at SGC just cutting through the BS uh, you, you're just you made that company and obviously that customer relation carried over to Sterling and now to REA uh, so I mean, you, you've got a you've got a background in grading you know not not necessarily degrading but in the grading companies 
you know, as as you're aware, there's some trimming issues going on right now. Uh, you know, leaf cards. You know, my beloved 48 leaf set. What does what does REA do? Uh, you know, to you know, to watch out for the you know for you know possibly trimmed cards. Uh, and, and you know, our customers asking about that, our consigners, our buyers. What's the what's the thumb on the pulse? I guess. Yeah, I and mean, people are undoubtedly aware of what's going on. Um, I think it's been going on long enough that um, the word has been okay. spreading. We're certainly aware of of it, and and frankly, in my opinion, we've done more to combat that and and try and eliminate issues before they make it to the auction um, than than most other places, in my estimation. You know, what do we do? We have um, a full time staff member who used to be a senior grader at SGC. So somebody who I worked with who was a grader at SGC for 15 years when I took over REA came and started to work with me. So this is a guy who was in the trenches for 15 years who knows what to look for. And now he's looking at everything that comes through us. Um, We also, I mean, you guys have both participated in the auction. I think you know that we sometimes call out disagreements. We don't take um, SGC, PSNA, Beckett, whoever the case may be. We don't take these authenticators at their word if we feel like they're wrong. So we will say, in our opinion, we grade the card higher. We grade the card lower. We grade the card differently for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and so we've, we've yeah. had that history of disclosure um, where we're not just selling the cards. And then obviously we have, you know, the, the, the tools of the trade um, that help us evaluate cards. And, and what people don't yeah. realize is how many, how many cards don't make it to the auction because they haven't passed our internal controls. And so that's something oh, wow. that I, I think people never, ever consider is that um, there's stuff that gets on the cutting room floor because it doesn't pass our muster. Um, you know, we're not out there publicizing it. We're not out there but we are not putting it up for auction if we're not comfortable with it. Tell us about that vetting process and what the conversation is like with the consigner. They they send you 10 cards and you reply, Hey, we think these three are trimmed uh, are, you know, so we won't, we don't want to consign them or we're going to send them to another grading company for another look. I mean, how do you do that? What's that conversation like? Yeah, so it takes on many forms, frankly. I mean, uh, sometimes we will say, hey, we want to get a a second opinion, Um, mostly with autographs. We utilize multiple autograph authenticators, Ah. and if there's ever a disagreement, we we disclose it. When it comes to cards, um, you know, if we see something that we view as egregious and we view as, um, you know, not right for the grade, we call up the consigner. Most of the time, they're appreciative. They're most of the time collectors who didn't think to look for something or didn't know that that was a possibility. Um, And so they appreciate that we bring it to their attention and then where the card goes from there. Sometimes it's sold with a disclosure in the auction. Sometimes it's returned so that they can get their money back. Um, You know, the, the conversations take many forms often dictated by value often dictated by, uh, the consigner's own opinion of the card. They don't always agree with us. Agree with us. You know, it's, it's just our opinion. Um, but we, we try and make sure that what we're putting out there is not going to be problematic for anybody because they're spending real money on this stuff. Absolutely. And you've got a, uh, you've got a reputation to uphold as well. You guys do. So, yep. Uh, yep. has there uh, ever well, been someone who's like, you, there's 10 cards you can sign. We think three are bad. And the person said, you know, you know, the hell with you. Give me all ten back, you know, something like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, gotta, absolutely. Yeah, got to be some disagreements there. Yeah, and and you know, we we just have to make a business decision at that point, and and uh, yeah. you know, nobody can tell us how to run our business, and so if we're not going to be comfortable doing something, we can agree to disagree, and um, and and we go from there, you know. But we've been fortunate in that. Um, most people, when we point out what we're doing and we show them what we see, they uh, they generally agree with us and, and let us proceed uh, with the disclosure. So. Wow. Very cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, that's good business too, Brian. I mean, obviously, especially for people who are, are possibly uneducated on, on a piece or whatever and they've inherited it, 
you know, they're looking, you're the expert. They're, they're the ones, you know, asking for your honest opinion, and you're giving it to them. So that's, that's, that's important. Um, that's important in the hobby. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're in it for the long term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's, there's, there's a lot of people who, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of, you know, there are, well, let me rephrase this. Unfortunately, there are several individuals who would just take it and, and just pass it over as fast as possible and be done with it. You know what I mean? So, and again, like you're saying, you're in for the long term, and that's a, you got to be honest. In it. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have this problem if we had honesty in the hobby. You know, but we're looking well, at the fact uh, that it's just, the, the fact that you know the fact that you employ an X grader uh, to ch- you know check things over before they go to auction says a lot. That, that that's pretty telling. Yeah, we yeah. we we take it Definitely. seriously. I mean, we're not we're not perfect, but I think we do a far better job than. Um, you know, other companies that provide this, the same type of service that we provide. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Brian, you have any uh, favorite story you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, what possibly could be the most interesting item or items you've auctioned over the years? Um, whether it's one item, a group of items, whatever it may be. Um, we We get to offer some incredible items. I, I always say I have the best collection in the world three times a year. Um, you know, I mean, a typical a, a typical auction has cards worth uh, big money, has memorabilia, bats, jerseys, uh, autographs, I mean, uh, presidential stuff we sell from time to time. Um, you know, Love last that. auction we had, we had a Jim Brown jersey just to keep yeah. with the football theme that was passed down through the family of the guy that used to do the laundry for the Cleveland Browns. And so they call us Ooh. because they find us on the internet and um, this Jersey that's been passed down for 50 years, we sell for $75,000. And so that was a very cool call to say that, you know, this thing that you've kept to remember your father actually has a lot of value. That's pretty cool. Wow. Amazing. Um, By the way, that was it. We've sold. Go ahead, Joe. Oh no, go you. You go ahead. No, just to say we we the Washington George Washington signatures. We've sold Harry Houdini's handcuffs. We've sold uh, the the shoes <laughs> Muhammad Ali wore in the Rumble in the Jungle. We've we've had some very. By the way, you have a really good uh, you know on air persona too. I've. I've you know, like on your website, you've got you know, so, you know, social media and in the news. We've got a couple clips here on CNBC and stuff. You know, presenting you know Wagner cards, et cetera. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we we believe in getting the word out there. I mean, we're lucky again to have just phenomenal material that lends itself to publicity and you know, spreading the good word of the hobby and, and REA. But, um, you know, I, I, I love anything I can do to bring attention to our hobby. I think it's yep. good to get new blood in, and it's good to have positive stories. And anything I can do to do that, I'm going to do. Well, well, Brian, brace for impact from this Gridiron Great podcast bump that we're about to, you're about to get for being on. We have, we have our <laughs> prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Curious, you, you talked about some of the cool items that are coming. Obviously, we're very centric on this show what other than like steve Largent rookie cards and memorabilia what football items are you know are really hot right now what do you what are you out down in the ground for yeah i mean the Largent market is just one we can't tame but Huge. we are always Huge. looking for, <laughs> <laughs> we're always looking for the big names you know like uh, baseball has ruth and mantle and Cobb. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to football, Brady stuff is is obviously very popular. Jim Brown's always a big name. The guys of the '80s, the Elways, Marino, Jerry Rice, we we sell their rookies and tens for big money. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's always going to be the stuff that people uh, remember collecting that's going to resonate with them, and and that's usually what drives these prices. Mm. That was interesting. Joe and I were talking about before you came on the show, I, I had a reader email me and ask me what's going on with modern day rookie cards. And in particular, he's looking at that uh, contenders Brady card for 150 K plus. Yeah. I'll throw it out to you. What's your opinion on that card? Is it worth it? Is it undervalued? Uh, you know, why, why is it a 150 K card? <laughs> well, 
I mean, it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar card because somebody's willing to pay it, and that's really what it boils down to. I mean, I'm hesitant to call a hundred and fifty thousand dollar card undervalued. Um, I'm personally <laughs> not a huge proponent of um, you know advising people to spend big big money on players who are still playing or who are still alive. You know, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, they're not going to wake up and do anything tomorrow that's already baked, not baked into their price. Um, but, you know, I also tell people to collect what they like. So if yeah. somebody likes the Brady card and likes the price, then, then God bless them. It's, it's uh, you know, something for everybody. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really having a hard time uh, getting rid of my O.J. Simpson collection lately. So... <laughs> Not not for everybody. <laughs> so no, you're right. I mean, you know, you I think you nailed it. And a lot of people don't think about it. You know, you know, somebody who's still playing, they're after their post-playing years. What they do can affect their value. I mean, Tom Brady is a huge hero right now, but I mean, we don't know what will happen afterwards. I mean, O.J. Simpson, Heisman winner you know, rookie of the year. I mean, just, he's, he's a stud and he goes on to make amazing Oscar Academy award winning shows like naked gun. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, he allegedly goes off and murders his wife. I mean, it's just, you don't know what someone's going to do. So that's pretty fascinating. I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people tell me that they collect these pieces of memorabilia in, instead of, putting the money into the market, you know, the stock market, because uh, they don't like the fact that somebody who they don't know has all this control, some CEO, some CFO can tank their investment. Um, you know, that's, the same can be said for modern day players. You know, you, you don't know these guys and Brady's got a sterling reputation, but um, yeah. you, you just never know. So uh, collect what you like, pay a price that you're comfortable with. Um, yeah, But exactly. I think it's important to, important to consider things like that. Well, that's definitely true. Exactly. And I get, and I, and I would say now guys toward their ends, end of their lives, guys who played in the fifties and a lot of cases, sixties and some in the early seventies now are passing. And, uh, you know, there, there's some, some interesting pieces out there that you could pick up for players at their end, their end of their lives. And who knows where they're going to go in the future. It's just a question yeah. of being educated about the player and knowing about the player, which, um, you know, there's a whole, whole other story at the same time. So, uh, you know, for example, when Jim Jim Brown passes, I think his stuff is going to really go up even more, even though yeah. there's a lot of his stuff out there. You know what I mean? So, uh, totally. and it's the same t- with uh, Bart Starr just passed. Uh, you know, that's it with his stuff, but the, he had a sterling reputation and, and you know, he was a class act from until the day he died. So it's, uh, you know, that, that that is good advice, though. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's what you said about that. Hey, Brian, uh, REA has this, you know, like, reputation. I mean, you mentioned you used to do one, you know, it used to be one, you know, huge auction a year. And under your helm, you, you've, you've made it three really good manageable auctions a year. But, you know, you threw it out there. It's 2,000-plus lots per auction. Uh, so, I mean, you know, REA has got this, you know, stigma of just being a huge auction house. What do you what do you tell someone who comes to you with maybe some smaller stuff that is worried about their, you know, their collection getting lost in the, you know, lost in the fray, lost in the crowd? How do you, you know, how do you assure them that, you know, you know, the spotlight's on it. I mean, you, you, you've mentioned you have a really huge, you know, Rolodex of people, you you know, who are on your mailing list, et cetera. That's a, yeah, what do you tell people, you know, about that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we get this question a lot, and what we say to people is that for somebody that collects programs or somebody who collects autographs or somebody who collects uh, figural pieces or jerseys, that's all they're going to focus on. And when the REA catalog comes out, if you're a program collector, you're going right to the programs and you don't care if we've got a hundred thousand dollar Babe Ruth bat or a $200,000 Mickey Mantle rookie card. Um, and so with a mailing list, our size that has the diversity of collectors from all budgets, everything gets that proper spotlight. Um, because for some guy out there, your $300 card is his white whale. And he's yeah. going to be all over it when the auction comes. 
So, um, you know, to a certain extent, you want to be in an auction that's got big dollar pieces. It's going to get the attention. It's going to have the proper marketing behind it. It's going to have the proper reach. Um, there's a lot of guys who collect all sorts of things uh, and, and might not look at another auction because they can't get that diversity that an REA auction offers. Um, yeah. So we, we recommend being in the auction and, um, you know, the high quality stuff's going to pull everything up. A rising tide's going to lift every boat that's in that auction. Good point. How many, uh, how many catalogs do you ship for an auction and how many active bidders are there roughly, you know, per auction? What, what, what's the, what's the population of that? Yeah, we, we have, we have nearly 10,000 catalogs that go out uh, every oh auction. God. It's a massive expense, obviously. Um, but yeah. then we have bidders that are tens of thousands deep. Um, so we don't, we don't exactly reveal the exact numbers, but it's, it's a big, big oh, okay. population of people um, who are, who are looking at any given auction. So, yeah. Obviously you've got registered bidders. And then you've got people who bid. I mean, and obviously a huge delta between them. So that that's pretty fascinating. Ten thousand catalogs. And you think about what it takes to gather all those consignments, catalog them, protect them, insure them, likely, take pictures of them, write descriptions of them, collate the catalog, print the catalog, package the catalog, and mail it. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, and and that just goes back to you know, what I was saying earlier, you, you want to be in the auction that has all this going for it. If we, if we put the time and energy and resources into um, doing all of this, then you can be pretty confident that the results are going to be, be worth it. And uh, I think people underestimate that they assume that all, all auctions and all auction houses are created equal. And it's just not, not the case. So we, we're really proud of the job we do. We put a lot of money into it. It's, um, it's a serious undertaking, and, and we think the results bear that out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Without a doubt. Wow. Wow. That 10,000 catalogs is uh, an amazing number. Uh, knowing what it's like doing our magazine, uh, obviously nowhere near that. But at the same time, it's a lot of work. You know, especially, you know, depending on, uh, in your case, getting everything ready and, and pictures and descriptions and the like. And I always like your description. And I think what, what's interesting, too, as much as people say we're, we're turning to a paperless society, we really aren't. A lot of people really want an auction catalog. They want a printed magazine. You know, they want something in hand. They're, they're tired of just doing everything on the computer, and that's it. You know what I mean? So, uh but that's a that's a good plus with your auction. That is appreciated to say the least. Yeah, Brian, no, you're what, right. What I mean, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna I say mean, it's, you're, it's, you're 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 totally right. <laughs> no, because you know I, I have a lot of I have a lot of people. Uh, you know, I we have an older readership. Uh, I just put it very bluntly, and I, I'd be lying to tell you we we lose probably 30, 40 readers every year because people die. People have dementia. They, they get Alzheimer's and, you know, and they can't, they can't read the magazine. I get so many, you know, so much correspondence from family members. It's sad after a while, you know, just reading this stuff, you know, dad's in a nursing home now. He has dementia. You know, you still love your magazine. You know, we got to cancel the subscription, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's sad to hear, you know, but again, Paper is still in demand, whether anybody wants to believe it yeah. or not, whether we're, we're, tr- we're trying to go to this perfect, you know, online type of media, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I, I, I enjoy the catalogs I get in the mail. I really do. I, I, I love looking at them. And you're looking at history. You know, that's what it really comes down to. So it's, uh, I, I applaud you for doing that because that's very important. That's really important for, especially for an auction. So, I want to conclude, as we're getting close to the end of the show now, Brian, what advice would you give a beginning collector? And then secondly, are you collecting anything besides your three auctions a year, personally? When I have time to collect, I like to collect baseball cards of um, Hall of Famers. So right now what's catching my eye is tobacco cards. 
of guys yep. like Cobb and Walter Johnson and um, Christy Matthews and guys like that. Um, as far as advice for a beginning collector, I think first and foremost, it's collect what you like. You know, this stuff is not a uh, consumer staple. Uh, there's no guarantee that any of it will be worth more or less than what you paid for it. And so if you're going to collect it, um, you should enjoy it and you should, um, you know, buy from people who you like, you should buy things that you like, you should, um, buy from trustworthy people. You should do research. I think, um, being an educated buyer is probably the best advice I could give somebody. And that means researching the, the piece, researching the buyer, researching the price, you know, researching the seller. I mean, um, you know, we just live in an age now where all the information is available to you and you should take advantage of it. Yeah. Good, good point. That's ver- Brian, I have very one, true. one last question before we let you go. Who is your favorite band to see live and camp to? You know, I think uh, in an ideal world, Dave Matthews on the banks of the, the Columbia River at the Gorge Amphitheater <laughs> would be my, my go-to. But I, I would say, as far as exactly. camping, I would remember, I would remember tent poles. Oh, too shame, too shame, my friend. Thank you. Well, well, uh, well, no, Brian, that's good. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. You're, you're one busy guy. You got a great auction house there, and um, I, if anybody needs to contact you, your website is. RobertEdwardAuctions.com. All right. And uh, we'll also put in a plug that if any readers and listeners from G, uh, from the podcast here, well, they can say that they were listening to you on the show and they need some advice, and I'm sure you're going to help them with it. And uh, I, I do appreciate the the uh, your your responses tonight because they were very interesting. And very truthful, and I and, and I know uh, I've, I've known you for several years, although not you know truly personally, but I know you got a great reputation in the hobby, and and, and I'm really uh, I'm really happy to see where you are today because it's really needed in the hobby. I appreciate that. Well, I I appreciate it, and I appreciate the job you guys do with the podcast and Bob with the magazine. I I uh, I enjoy them when I get them, and I'm happy to uh, have been on tonight. Uh, thanks good. for taking the time, Brian. Seriously. Not a Brian problem. Brian Dwyer, President, REA Auctions, Robert Edwards Auctions. Thanks for being on. Thanks, guys. Well, Joe, the last, uh, this was very informative. I'm, I'm completely blown away by the amount of catalogs that they do, uh, that they print. Yeah. I mean, I know what, I've been printing on and off all my life, and, uh, you know, just hearing 10,000, holy mackerel. That is, that is uh, an incredible figure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you got it. Wow. I had no idea. I was actually curious about it because uh, I'm always curious about how many, if you think about it, how many how many people have registered to bid. And like you said, there's people who fall out of the hobby. There's people who pass away. There's, you know, all kinds of reasons why people, you know, maybe have, you know, a bidder ID with someone, but, you know, stop bidding. And I've always wondered if like yeah. after four years of not bidding, if people, you know, maybe after a year of inactivity, they stopped getting a catalog. And uh, I, I guess that would have been a question is, you know, who gets a catalog? I mean, are they the people right. who bid in the last auction? Are they people who bid historically? Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, then at what point do you remove people, people's, you know, you know, profile? I mean, you know, if they haven't well, bid, if they haven't logged into the last six auctions, I mean, who knows? Yeah. You know, what we traditionally do with the magazine, if, uh, you know, we don't hear back from the people after a year, they haven't renewed or whatever, and I, I'm basically every issue, I'll send a personal note with them or I'll send a letter out, you know, time to renew, uh, has anything changed? And, and and I would say probably at least 50, 60% I get back, like I said, I get something back from the family or I get a phone call or I get an email saying, you know, take uh, so-and-so off, he, he's ill, he passed, or whatever the case might be. 
And, uh, you know, in, in our case, I mean, we're nowhere near that kind of circulation, obviously. But still, that, that is just an incredible amount of incredible amount of catalogs to get in. And I really don't know what, what the answer is. Maybe it's just a permanent permanent bidder process. You know, you're on for, for, you know, let's say three years, and after the third year, if you haven't bid on anything, you're gone type of thing. you got to re-register or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. You know, I think each auction house is, is different, you know. And I'm sure, you know, it's 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 very consuming to say the least. It's very, you know Yeah. You're doing a lot of work think about a lot that. of work with a small just, amount of people, so just Go going over that, what it takes to gather I mean like you know, you email somebody mails you consignments, you've gotta you know, put that in a bin. And I've I've seen something like it where that literally goes in a bin with a you know, with a lot number in it, you know, each lot number is cataloged whose it is their billing information, and then, you know, a photographer comes along and takes pictures of it. Someone who knows the product has got to write up a description, or maybe they find a previous description in an auction and they cut and paste it. I mean, who knows, whatever it is, 2,000 lot items. I mean, if it takes you, you know, 15 minutes to write up each auction, each, each item, I mean, you're looking at 500 hours. Or, right, know, right. It's a full-time job for someone just to write descriptions for lots. And then you've got to take the the lot description with the picture, you know, proof it, send it to the printer. Oh, my gosh. I just, I can't even imagine. It's just, that's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I parallel to the magazine, too. I mean, you know, we're basically, it's Brenda and I and Jared doing the cover. And, you know, we're we're basically relying upon our, um, our, our, our writers who are so dedicated to the magazine to send us, you know these articles, and then you know we fix them up. We gotta we gotta lay it out. Brenda spends yeah. at least on an on an issue, if not more, a minimum of forty hours between the layout, the design, uh, proofing, so on and so forth. So it's you know it's basically four forty hour weeks a year, just doing this. So you know just doing the magazine, not counting everything else we do. So it's yeah, a lot totally. of work. I can I, I can only imagine with with the uh, 2,000 lots uh, in an auction. I mean, we're only doing a 48 to 52 page magazine. Uh, you know, doing a three, 400 page catalog. Is, that's incredible. That's really amazing to me. But I still enjoy reading. I, I still enjoy auction catalogs. I enjoy getting them in the mail. I enjoy looking at them. Obviously, you know, I don't follow the other sports with the exception, obviously, of football. But I'm always interested in whatever football may be there. And from a historical perspective seeing stuff i may have never seen before type of thing so that's always cool to me at the same time so uh it's it's uh it's a very interesting type of uh very interesting i I learned a lot tonight myself so i'm going to hand off to you we're in a two-minute warning joe what'd you pick up on tonight's show it's a great show uh you know we touched a little bit on brian's history but i remember an sgc I mean, and I literally, every submission I had went through Brian at SGC. He's that guy who would look over your order form, make sure everything was right, walk it back. I mean, oh, my gosh. I remember getting text messages from him, hey, your order's up. I mean, that is incredible customer service. You can't teach that to anyone. So Brian has just had that all his life. And uh, good for him because that that definitely correlates over to, you know, what he does at – you know, at uh, REA. So, yeah, just exactly yeah, good for him. Our, and and we've talked about REA before and their lack of customer service and frustration. I think at uh, you know at the Cleveland National, I tried to submit something and I spent you know half an hour trying to log into my defunct the you know you know account and get this and filling out stuff for tickets and uh, tickets and, and postcards, only to have them say they don't do tickets anymore. And it's like, well. How come they're on the drop-down menu? Well, we haven't whittled that out of our system yet. It's just I just walked away. It's just yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he offered yeah, that know, customer and, service and, that is certainly lacking now. This is what I don't understand. You're, you're you're basically in a multi-million-dollar business, and your customer service department and/or customer service skills are not existent. I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand. It seems like this hobby is just has that in a lot of cases, and it's and, and it's so wrong. It doesn't make any doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But it is what it is. 
So we're going to be yes, wrapping indeed. up our 99th, 99th show. We're down about 30 seconds. Joe, any final thoughts? Looking forward to our 100th, Bob. I mean, it's like uh, it's it's kind of whipped, whipped, you know whipped by. I'm just uh, I'm I'm very humbled to be your co-host, and I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. I can't believe how many years have passed. Just snap your fingers. It's just amazing. Just truly amazing. And I was going through some old papers real quick. I found uh, the old Weatherheads uh, Network. I was co-host of a couple of shows on that. I found my old scripts from that. I said, holy mackerel. I don't even know how many shows I did with them. It was, it's amazing. But anyways, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in about a week with our 100th show. Thanks for listening. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.